Um, how many people have shopped at Walmart? Silly question, right? We all shop at Walmart. Walmart's awesome. Uh, they have a policy where if you ask an employee where something is, they will take you to it. They will show you to it. Just follow me and I'll show you right there. Now, on the other hand, you have Canadian Tire. Now, I love Canadian Tire. Love Canadian Tire. I'll be a Canadian Tire supporter till the day I die. Collect the points. I have the MasterCard. Canadian Tire, Canadian Tire, Canadian Tire. But Canadian Tire, we had a rough go last week. I went in looking for butane. I've never bought butane before. I don't know where to get it. But I wanted a butane torch. I got the little piece for Christmas. So I wanted the butane tank. So I walked in thought maybe seasonal so I go down to seasonal no so I asked somebody check sporting goods now if you know how Canadian tires laid out seasonals in the front corner sporting goods is in the back corner and Canadian tire has like 300 aisles <laughs> so it's in no it doesn't have 300 aisles I don't know how many it has but it seems like it has a lot so it's in aisle whatever and it's on the opposite corner so I walk all the way to the other side of the store I'm chatting with a, a younger guy looking for butane butane i I don't know, there's some stuff here for camping stoves and that sort of thing. Why don't you check in power tools? So I head over to power tools, and there's a gentleman there. Hey, I'm looking for butane. Uh, did you check sporting goods? <laughs> well, I just came from sporting goods, and they sent me to power tools. Well, what about seasonal? Well, that's where I started, and then I went to sporting goods, and then I came over to, well, if it's not in sporting goods, then we probably don't have it. So you might want to check one more time. So I went back to sporting goods. Uh, before I found out they have none in stock currently. So if you're looking for butane, Canadian Tire might have it in stock now. I don't know. But do you see the difference? Walmart shows you to the product, and Canadian Tire tells you where it is. Here's, here's another little illustration. I don't know if this is generational or if this is personality or what. But have you ever been invited to supper at somebody's house where you've never been before? Maybe you're talking to them on the phone or you're Facebook messaging or something. Okay, where do you live? Now, there's two ways they can answer, right? They can answer with, well, if you're driving by the church building and you come down to the old general store and you turn right and then you head up towards Scrabble Hill. Is there really a Scrabble Hill or do people just, there is a Scrabble Hill? Okay, you head to Scrabble Hill and then you look for the sand pit on your left and then on the, the house on the right, that's where the doctor used to live and if you go, see that's, that's one way. The other way is, here's my address, right? I don't, I don't know which one you prefer. I don't know if it's generational. I prefer the address because then I can just look it up on Google Maps and follow it there, right? Maybe that's too easy, I don't know. But you see the difference? One way, you show them using landmarks. The other way, you just tell them. Show and tell. We're, we're finishing a series this Sunday, four weeks, called Show and Tell. How did the early church show the gospel? How did the early church tell the gospel? This morning, we're finishing this series in the book of James which I'm so excited about because it's like the culmination of this theme right here, showing and telling the gospel. What are you going to do with it? The book of James. So we're going to fly through the book this morning, and I'm just going to show you the highlights from chapters 1 to 5. Does that sound good? Can we do it? So if you would open your copy of the Bible, your YouVersion Bible app, whatever you use, and go to the book of James, we're just going to be in the book of James today. I was telling Dave at the back, we're going to fly through this book, so if we can put it up on screen, I'm not going to have it on the TV, we're just going to go, go, go. So you ready to move fast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, 
the context of the book of James. James is Jesus' half-brother. Did you know Jesus had brothers and sisters? Do you remember that moment when you found that out and it was like, whoa, wait. Or have you ever thought about this? The Virgin Mary wasn't always a virgin. She had sons. She had daughters, right? And James is the oldest of the siblings after Jesus. So he's Jesus' half-brother because Jesus, through the virgin birth, through the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Virgin Mary... So do you see the correlation there? James is the half-brother of Jesus. Do you know Jesus' family didn't always believe in him? In fact, they mocked until after the resurrection. And then we see James become a leader in the church in Jerusalem, like the original mega church in Jerusalem. James is a leader in the Jerusalem church. So James writes this book of James. And the feel of the book is very practical, very basic, very simple, not theologically deep. It mentions Jesus' name twice, doesn't mention the Holy Spirit, doesn't mention the doctrine of the cross. It's very simple, not theologically deep. So when you compare it to Romans last week, if Romans is deep, then James is wide. Is that a good way to put it? Last week, Steve was saying that Romans is the fullest explanation of the gospel. The most intricate, complex, theologically deep understanding of the gospel is in the book of Romans. Well, if Romans is the classroom where we pull out the whiteboard and we say, here's all the intricacies of the gospel, we're going to break it all down for you, then James is taking everybody out of the classroom into the street and saying, now let's go and do likewise. So I think it's a really fitting end to this series, Show and Tell. Now, the main theme of the book, the word perfect, teleos in the Greek, is used seven times. Now, if you're at home watching online, if you know the significance of the number seven in the Bible, put it in the chat, because this is really cool. The word perfect is used seven times. Now, what's the significance of the number seven in Scripture? Perfection. The word perfect is used seven times. The number that signifies perfection or completion or finished work, or wholeness, or maturity. That's the theme of the book. Being somebody who acts out what they believe in their heart. Somebody who is so in line with their values that they're whole. They're not fractured. It's not an imperfect diamond because it's fractured. It's perfect. It's whole. It's complete. It's together. It's not divided. It's not separated. It's not two-faced. Perfect. That's the theme. Acting out what you believe. What you believe and what you do with it. You could say it like this. Does anybody know the slogan for Nike? Just do it. Just do it. We've been speaking on show and tell, the signs of the gospel through the life of the early church, and now we're concluding with just do it. Just go and do it. I love that. So simple. Now, I want to break down through each chapter the theme that I just described, and I want to reconstruct it from the back of the book to the front. Confused yet? Well, we're going to start with chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Chapter 5 puts the theme like this. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Be a woman of your word. Be a man of your word. If you say it, 
do it. If you believe it, live it. Walk the talk, right? Just do it. Chapter 4 puts it like this in chapter 4 and verse 17. Whoever knows to do right but fails to do it, to him it is sin. Say, oh, wait, wait, wait. I didn't do anything wrong. But the flip side of the coin is you didn't do what you knew you should have done. It's the sin of omission and the sin of commission. You didn't do what you knew was right. Do what you know is right. Just do it. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. I'll summarize it with this. Whoever is wise by his good conduct, show your works in meekness. Show what you believe. By your good conduct, show what you believe. Chapter 2 puts it this way. Maybe this is probably the one you have memorized. This is, this is the section of scripture in the book of James that you know the best. James chapter 2, it's verses 18 to 26, but the main part is faith without works is dead. How's that for shocking and punchy? The book of James feels a lot like the book of Proverbs. It's a lot of one-liners that you can memorize and they just stick in your head and they wallop a punch. Faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works. Go ahead, try it. I will show you my faith by my works. You want a biblical example? Look at Abraham, James says. Abraham showed his faith by his works. If Abraham is too high of an example for you, let's talk about the prostitute, Rahab, who hid the spies and by her works showed her faith. Skip Heitzig puts it this way. He says, if the root of salvation is faith, then the fruit of salvation is works. And the root will always show the fruit. If you're growing in the gospel, if you're growing in discipleship, in maturity, our motto is to be disciples, making disciples. We're supposed to be growing, rooted and grounded in faith. And then the fruit should be the works of our faith, should they not? That's chapter 2. Now, we've made it to chapter 1. I want to read a little section of scripture here, starting in James chapter 1, verse 22. And this is how I want to summarize the theme. James does it so well. It's, it's as if he thought, what kind of epistle would Josh Fillmore like? <laughs> I'm going to put that one together. It's going to be really simple. It's going to be really practical. It's going to be really straightforward. And it's going to have lots and lots of illustrations. I didn't have to really think of one illustration for this sermon this morning. It's all right in the book. So here's the, ser the, here's the sermon illustration right here. James chapter 1 and verse 22. But be doers of the word. Just do it, Nike. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the perfect Torah, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I got to grab a prop here, Mitchell, so I'm going to jump off camera there. But if you're at home and you've got a good mirror story, like maybe you, uh, you walked around all day and then when you got home, 
I'm going to blind some people here this morning. I apologize for that. I didn't practice this, but if you get lights in the eye, Cheryl, if I blind you right there, you just tell me. But if you got a good story about, oh, there it is, sorry. If you got a good story about a mirror, I should have cleaned this mirror. Look how dirty that is. I sure, my wife is watching. I, this isn't a mirror we use. I pulled this out of the basement. Yeah, close up, there you go. But if you have a good mirror story, like you went around all day long and then you looked in the mirror and you saw what was on your face or you saw that you wore your shirt backwards all day, I would like to hear if anybody wore their shirt backwards all day and just found out when they looked in the mirror at the end of the day, write it in the chat. You've got to do it. Inside out, that would be a good one too. Those tags are hard to find sometimes. I do that all the time. Now, where was I? <laughs> That's what mirrors do, don't they? I'm blinding you guys again. I'm going to have to work on this. Uh, mirrors show us what we actually look like. If, if it's a decent mirror, oh, we got light shining over here too. We got light shining everywhere. See how the light reflects off the mirror? There's a good sermon illustration. Mirrors show you what you actually look like. They point out the flaws. They point out the areas that need work, the areas that need improvement. When you look at the mirror, you see what you actually look like if you're looking into a good mirror. Now the word of God is supposed to look like, look, it's supposed to work like that. When you, when you look into the word of God, it shows you yourself. It shows you your flaws, your failings. It shows you that you are a sinful person before a holy God and your only hope is Jesus Christ. And then based on that reflection that you see from the word of God of your true self, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you seek to make the necessary changes. That's the book of James. What good does it do to look in the mirror, see the ketchup stain on your shirt from the tater tots at breakfast, see your hat hair, see the lettuce stuck in your teeth, see that you forgot to shave, didn't put any makeup on, and then walk away and do nothing about it? What was the point? Why would you look in the mirror? Let's see, if, let's see if we can get a real good shot here. Can you see any reflection there? There. Can you, can you, see, can you see me looking in the mirror there? It, it is filthy. I need to clean that mirror. That's a good sermon illustration right there too. We're coming up with all kinds. When, when you look into the mirror, it shows you a reflection of yourself. Now, oh, look at that. That's a good shot right there. If you have an accurate mirror, it's going to show you an accurate picture of yourself. Now, has anybody been to... Um, like the mirror house at the exhibition that you walk through? Or, or maybe you've seen this, uh, a warped mirror. One way it makes you look tall and thin, and then the other way it makes you look short and stout, right? It doesn't give you an accurate picture of what you look like. So we wouldn't waste any time with those mirrors. It might be funny for a little chuckle, but if you looked into that mirror every day, you wouldn't make the appropriate changes in your life. And maybe... Maybe the men sitting here, they're saying, um, mirror, when was the last time I bothered looking in a mirror, right? And I hear you, men, I hear you. But there's, there's a mirror that we look into all the time, isn't there? And I'm not just saying like when you pull up to the store and you're like, oh, I better put on the selfie feature and check my makeup before I go into this, make, my, make sure my mask is sitting on my face right and then I'm ready to go in. No, what I'm saying is, when you open up your phone and, and you look into social media and you start comparing your reflection to the images that you're seeing on the screen and, and you start maybe 
a bitter root of, of jealousy or envy or, or pride or arrogance starts coming up and you start judging your reflection and the image you see based on a warped mirror, you don't make the appropriate changes. That's why you need an accurate mirror. That's why you need the perfect law, the perfect Torah, so that when, when you look into this image, it gives you an accurate rendition of where you're truly at, and then you can make the changes. Now, let me tell you, I'll, I'll put this away so I'm not distracting people or blinding them. I think we get this totally wrong all the time in modern church. We, we open up the Bible and... We dig into it, we read it, we study it, we click on Right Now Media, we open the YouVersion Bible app, we do our devotions, we check the day. We're in the Word. But how many people go Sunday to Sunday, come home from the service, honey, what did the pastor preach on this morning? Oh, I don't know, he did something weird with a mirror, I got light in my eyes, I didn't hear anything after that, so that... Or how many of us open the Bible and stare into it day after day after day after day and wonder, why isn't it making any changes? Why don't I see any difference? Why am I bothering with this? Well, we would never go to a mirror and stare into that mirror and hope that just by looking into that mirror, it's going to change the way we look. If it's an accurate mirror, it's not going to change the way you look. You can get right up close until you can see the hairs on the end of your nose. You can change the lighting. You can try and get a different angle but it's going to show you who you are. It's not going to make any changes. It's just going to show you who you are. When you look into the Bible and you study the Bible, study and read and study and get more and more, and one of our core values is truth, and we need truth, and we need to hold to truth. But the application part is so critical, isn't it? What is the sense of looking into the Word of God if we're not going to do what it says? Why bother doing your devotions this week? Why bother sitting here and listen to the book of James if you're not going to do anything with it, if I'm not going to do anything with it? Well, it's like staring into the mirror and saying, yeah, that piece of lettuce is okay. I'm just going to go on with my week and see if it's there next week. And oh, guess what? It's still there next week because I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't use Listerine. I didn't I just left it there. Okay, have we worn out that illustration? Can we move on? <laughs> All right. Now, let's get into the book. Chapter 1 serves as this really nice introduction. It carries the theme that we've just talked about, obviously, but then it shows five main points where we see this work out. You ready for the five main points? All right. James chapter 1 and verse 2. Patience. How do we show and tell the gospel? What is our response? After we study the gospel, what do we do? What do we change? What do we do? patience. How we wait communicates what we believe about God, how the gospel has changed our life. It shows and tells our values and our beliefs. How we wait, patience. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. It could actually be, be rendered brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Look at verse 12, James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Steadfast. Patience. You ready for the second one? Kindness. How we give 
shows and tells the gospel that we believe. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Look at the quality and the characteristic of God here. Who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. Look at verse 17. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You probably know those verses. You ready for the third point? Love. How we judge people shows and tells the gospel that we believe. Look at this in James chapter 1 and verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. You know that the differences and the distinctions that we paint on people are just temporary. And when God sees people, he sees his creation that he was willing to die for. Look at verse 27. You probably know this one too. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Orphans and widows, the marginalized, the impoverished, the ones whom society has swept to the curb. How we love, how we judge, communicates what we believe. Now gentleness, how we speak. I love James chapter 3. We're going to get into that real briefly today. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. How we speak. And then finally, how we get along. How we live at peace with each other, with the world, communicates what we believe about the gospel. Look at verse 6, James chapter 1 and verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave tossed in the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That one's going to take a little bit of explanation, but I look forward to getting there. Do you notice something about these words in yellow? I don't think I jumped too far with this, but these are all from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, love, gentleness, peace, joy. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, the remaining four chapters of James dig into these subjects, and we're going to do it really quickly. Okay? James chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's dig into how we judge. James chapter 2 and verse 1. And I'm just going to read because this is very basic, very practical, and it doesn't need a lot of explanation. James chapter 2 and verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Picture this. This is written in the context of the synagogue, the gathering of the church for their worship service. So picture this morning, we're sitting in this facility. Uh, maybe COVID isn't a thing and people can just show up without pre-registering. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Now because we're Baptists, our good place would be at the back, right? Because that's, that's the prime seating. 
If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, but the poor man, you say, stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let me tell you a couple quick stories. I was on vacation down in Florida when I was a little kid with my family. Sunday came, we go to church because Sunday is the Lord's Day. We go to church, we put our focus and attention on God. I was taught that from a young age. I walked in with my family on vacation, so we're in shorts, t-shirts, maybe flip-flops. It's down in Orlando, Florida. We walk into this big church, and I remember we stepped in. The usher looked at my dad, looked down at his wardrobe, looked back up at my dad, and walked us up to the balcony at the back of the building where nobody else was seated. Let me tell you another story. I was chatting with my friend Luke um, two weeks ago, I guess, when we went on that hike. He was telling me about one of his first church experiences, not at this church, thank goodness. Uh, But he walked in with his family, sat down, and the person in front of him turned around and said, that's for members only. So they stood at the back for a while and then left. Can you imagine? And that happens today. That happens everywhere. I pray it doesn't happen here. It's a good reminder. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? You've dishonored the poor man. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. Are not the rich ones those who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? One more quick story went on a missions trip to New York City. Um, Jason Weatherby was there, and I think Darcy was there as well. That's all I remember, Uh, but it was People's Church, this youth group. We went together 16 years ago or something. I remember we're in the business district in Manhattan where everybody carries suitcases and suits, and they're walking through. Nobody had the time of day to talk to us. Nobody. Wouldn't even look at you. They're either on their phone or they're on a mission. They just walk right by rudest thing I've ever seen. You go to the Bronx, where there's a little more impoverishment, and people were open to the gospel. They would sit and they would talk with you all day long about the gospel. The rich and the poor, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the law according to the scripture, this summarizes it right here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. Jesus summarized the whole law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. How we judge others. You ready for chapter three? We're not going fast enough. We're going to have to speed up. How we speak. Gentleness. I love chapter three. You just need to sit and you need to read it. But look at verse one. This one scares me to my core. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I pray the day never comes where I don't have nerves in my stomach when I get up here to declare God's word. Without even thinking, I've stood on stages like this trying to be funny or humorous and hurting people. I give you stories about that, but we don't have time. Maybe another time. Verse 2. For we all stumble... In many ways. If 
anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. There's that term perfect again. Able also to bridle his whole body. James gives these two pictures that I love. The horse. You get a little bit in a horse's mouth. That little bit, just like a little tongue. And you can control the whole body of the horse. And then the tongue is like a little rudder on a ship. Compared to the ship, that rudder is tiny, but it steers this great ship through the stormy sea. So the tongue is a tiny member, but it boasts of great things. Look at what it says in verse 9. Sorry, Dave, I'm skipping way down here on you. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not to be so. I've worked a number of summer jobs, and I remember in one of the summer jobs, we had to hire some outside contractors to do some work. One of the guys who showed up on that crew, I recognized from a local church. He's a leader in a local church. Do you know what the only interaction we had that day was? A joke about the F word. He didn't recognize me. He didn't know me. I recognized him. Let me tell you, I've never forgotten that moment. But how many times do we come in on Sunday and we bless God, and then when we're on the job site or when we're with our kids or our spouse, we, ooh, we let those words fly out, don't we? Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Jesus said, what's in the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart pours out speech. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in you, if the gospel's in you, if Jesus has transformed your heart, it should come out in the way you speak. It should come out in gentleness. You ready for chapter four? We're going pretty fast here. How we get along, peace. Let me read this section to you. Verse one. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight, you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on those passions at war within you. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Think about that for a little bit. You know, for each of us, there is a war going on inside us. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Sometimes it works its way out physically. We're fighting and quarreling. This ties back in with the double-minded man. Our passions are at war within us. We want and we don't have. We, we look into this obscure mirror and we see what other people have and we want it. We think we need it. Everybody else has it. I should have it. And the devil plays on our appetites. And it turns into temptation. And when it's given full birth, it's sin, which brings to death. We need to be at peace. And the only way that you get there is through the Prince of Peace. Jesus came so that we could have peace with God the Father. Okay, we've got to move on. Chapter 5. Kindness. How we give. The start of the year, we talked about radical generosity in the early church. And this is how we're going to finish. How we give. Chapter 5. James 5 and verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. 
The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived in earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Don't cheat people to try and get ahead. Now, I heard the story once of a wealthy businessman. He's lying on his deathbed, and he's got his family there, and he motions to his wife. He's going to give his final words. So she comes close and leans down to his, his puts, her, puts her ear down to his mouth, and, and he just faintly and weakly gets out the words, could you step to the side so I can see my BMW through the window? That's a joke. I don't think that really happened. But nobody would ever say that, right? Because who cares about your stuff at that point? You're not going to take it with you. Chapter 1 says it fades away like the grass in the meadow in the hot sun. It's gone. James also says, what is your life? It's like a vapor. It's here one moment and poof, it's gone. So short. Now in these seasons, we're talking about having a hard year. The days and weeks are so long, aren't they? But then the years are short. And we're standing here at the end of January 2021. <laughs> and we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, 1990, that seems like yesterday, doesn't it, Steve? Patience, how we wait. The end of James chapter 5. Patience, we're almost done. Patience. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You can tell a lot about a person by how they wait, can't you? Haven't you ever seen a person standing in line, and they're standing like this, and they're checking their watch, or maybe you're driving behind somebody, and I get this weird subliminal thought that if I ride right up on their bumper, somehow it's going to help me get where I'm going faster. That doesn't actually work. Or maybe you see the man waiting outside the store, waiting for his wife, and you know, all oh, those, those women, they always be shopping. Or maybe, maybe you're the parent trying to get your kid to put their winter snow boot on, and it's just one Velcro strap. How hard can it be? we got to go just get it on. But have you ever been... Do you remember those places called airports that we all used to go and we could fly places? There was one in Halifax, remember that? You could stand at the, um, what do they call that thing where people return from flights, domestic, arrivals, arrivals, right? I remember, it hasn't been that long. And there's this big glass wall and there's this escalator coming down. Have you ever seen like the family gathered there? And they got their signs. Welcome home, daddy. And they hold those up. And they're watching face after face. When's daddy going to come around? When's daddy going to come down the escalator? Isn't that beautiful? Waiting. Who you're waiting for determines how you wait, doesn't it? What did it say here? Chapter 5 and verse, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, 
the judge is standing at the door. We know that our judge, if we know Jesus Christ, is Jesus himself. The one who gave his life for us is standing at the door. You don't know when the Lord's going to return, so how do we wait patiently? That communicates the gospel message that we believe. Now, I'm going to end it right there. We don't have time, but if we had time, I'd pull this mirror back up and I'd say, okay, how do we measure up? If you look in the mirror, patience, kindness, love, gentleness, peace. How does your reflection line up with the perfect law of liberty? And what changes need to be made? Let me just end with this. Let's just do it. Like, let's not make it any harder than it needs to be. Let's just go out and do it. How many times are we going to wait this week? We're going to do it with patience. How many times are we going to have opportunities to give and help, give of our time, give of our talents? Let's show it with kindness. How many times are we going to be tempted to judge somebody because of the way they look? Let's do it with love. How many times are we going to speak this week? I had the statistics on that, and it's crazy. The average person has, yeah, anyway, thousands of volumes of literature. If you took the words you spoke and put it on paper, thousands of volumes, 400 pages in length. Peace. We're going to have so many opportunities this week to fight with people. We're going to have so many opportunities where we want to just write that comment on social media or we want to say something behind their back. But instead, we're going to choose peace because we serve the Prince of Peace. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, I just want to praise you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you for your perfect law. Thank you for the simplicity of the book of James that we just need to read it. We just need to do what it says. God, help us to show these fruits of the Spirit in our life so that when people hear us, when people see us, when people experience us, they're hearing, experiencing, and seeing the good news that God loved them so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sins. That if they would just believe, they too would have eternal life and hope and purpose. And something like the coronavirus wouldn't mark their identity and their future because we're secure in Jesus Christ. Thank you for these things this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.